Welcome back to the Hockey House podcast presented by Sally Hockey Co. I am Murph. Once again, joined virtually by Click and Fitz and some other guests we'll introduce very shortly here. But start off with Fitz. How's it going tonight? Doing good, Murph. How much going on? Got a big men's league tilt Thursday. So that's about all I got going. How you doing, Glick? Doing pretty good. I'm pretty sore. Yesterday was the first, my first time skating about three weeks. I was pretty happy. I still remember how to stand on my feet. So, you know, that's good progress. How about you, Murph? How you doing? You know, I had to finish up my summer class last week. That's why we bumped the pod and, and some other stuff going on. And was also preparing for a big men's league tournament up in Burlington, Vermont. We went 3-0, and made it to the championship game. And then uh, some are saying we choked away the finals. But other than that, show up to work on Monday, doing the pod here on Tuesday night. So you know, just getting things done, moving on from this weekend. But excited. Big episode here. We got a lot to talk about. So let's get to it. Very special episode here. David Herman's been editing our pod for a while now, and, and we finally got him on to talk. And the man behind uh, the editing, when we first started this, I was doing it. And luckily, Herm kind of stepped in and said, hey, you know, I can do this. Would you mind if I did it for you? And then, you know, we, we hooked it up and, and we've been rolling for a while now. And Herm has brought on Jake. Jake's been the PA guy at Ohio for over 10 years now. Guys, welcome to the Hockey House Podcast. Boys, it's a pleasure to be here right now. It's weird being on the other side of things. Thanks for having us. It's good to be with you guys. And it comes off of a podcast where we talked to Greg Powers from Arizona State. We talked about teams that could potentially go Division One. And I got a text from Herm as soon as he listened to the podcast, voicing his displeasure that the Ohio Bobcats were not mentioned. So we're glad to have you guys on. Before we go to introductions here, the, the funny thing for me here, you guys obviously referred to Bird Arena as the bird, and Jake fills in and works at the library while he's not being the PA announcer at the bird. And I go to Syracuse University where our library is called Bird Library. So we call it Bird as well. So I guess there's a little connection between the libraries, the PA announcing and working there. So like I said, glad to have you guys on. We'll toss it over to Herm. Herm, what are you up to these days? And uh, maybe give us a little introduction on how you ended up at Ohio. Sure. Uh, working as a membership development associate at a company called World 50 right now. Decided to commit to Ohio University because I was really interested in the sports management program there. I wanted to combine my passion for hockey with my affinity for business. And there was no better program that I found than in Athens. I got to campus junior year of high school. A, f- a mentor of mine got me out to, to come do a game. The original plan was he was going to take me up to Columbus for a Rangers Blue Jackets game and pulled a fast one on me last minute. was like, nope, we're going to a Bobcat hockey game. And that game versus Iowa State, I fell in love with ACHA hockey. I was like, I need to be here. I need to be working with this team. And this is this environment is something I need to be around more often. And Jake, how did you find yourself at uh, at Bird Arena watching the Bobcats? I came from not as far away as David did. I'm a native of the Cleveland area in Northeast Ohio. I had camped in Southeast Ohio a lot. There's uh, Hocking Hill State Park, South Fork State Park around here. So I'd been down here a bunch and just really liked the area. It's, it's beautiful. It's the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. I had been here a bunch. And when I was looking at schools, Ohio just... It resonated with me. It spoke to me as far as that's where I belonged. And now I've lived half my life here in Athens. But yeah, I I got associated with the team first as a fan, going to games, starting, you know, as a first year student. I was in AmeriCorps, which is like a domestic version of Peace Corps. And one of the volunteers I worked with, she volunteered at hockey games in the penalty boxes, goal judging. And so I got hooked up with that. And honestly, like the best seat at Bird Arena is in the penalty box. You're, you know, really close to the center line. If you're not careful, you definitely uh, can, can catch a few injuries too. So I started doing that and then expressed interest. Hey, you know, if you ever have an opening, you need someone to fill in on the mic, I'll give it a shot. And that was, I don't know, like 2007, 2008. That's awesome. And so Herm, once you get on campus and, and you're working with a team, what's kind of, or maybe it was even beforehand when you first went to a game, what was your welcome to the ACHA moment? I think the welcome to the ACHA moment came as I was already working for the team. February of that freshman year, we had a game against Pitt. I think it was Matt Rudin who put the Bobcats up like 5-2 at that point. And we had a a full-on line brawl. I'm going to send this to you after the pod because I need you to post this publicly. 
there's a really, really great clip of one of the Bobcat players skating the full length of the ice and tackling one of the pit players. And I remember quote tweeting it at the time. I was like, reason number 83 why you should go to a Bobcat hockey game. It solidified for me why I needed to be there. The Bobcat teams have an incredible amount of, of grit and passion that they play with. It, it just it just made me want to come back. I was captivated from day one of, of being at Burke. Jake, what about yourself? What was your welcome to the ACHA moment? I'm going to like qualify this into two separate questions. There's welcome to the ACHA and then there's welcome to Bird Arena. Bird opened in 1958. You wouldn't be too far off if you thought, wow, they haven't done much to this place. I refer to it uh, in the opening lines of like the game day script as historic Bird Arena because it definitely shows its, its uh, rust and uh, all of its unique qualities. So on almost a weekly basis during the season, there's a welcome to bird moment where it's like, oh yeah, this is not NCAA hockey because I am the tech person. You know, I know the equipment in the place more than the student workers or the the staff. They ask me how to fix stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of running around right before a game starts trying to patch together things with, you know, duct tape and chewing gum to make sure the PA system or the lights are working. So there's that. As far as the ACHA moment, we had uh, one of OSU's teams come down. It was their Club D2 team, and they played us. And we hadn't had OSU down on the barn, I don't know, in ages. You know, a lot of people, it was a packed game because people saw Ohio State, and they thought, yeah, I want to see this. So they showed up not knowing that we were playing, you know, their D2 team. The first time I, and only time I've seen embellishing called by a ref was during that game. Instead of calling diving, he called it embellishment. So I announced the penalty just like I always would. And then when he was going back onto the ice, this was an OSU player. Instead of saying, you know, Ohio State is returning to full strength, I said the embellisher is returning to the ice. The player's dad came up into like what we refer to as the bird's nest or the crow's nest, walked up to me in between periods and just like walked up with his hand outstretched, was like, hey, uh, are you the announcer? Gets my hand and doesn't let go. And he's like, so why do you have to say that about my kid? And he was like not letting go of my hand. I was like, uh, the embellisher, you know, and, and the guy was just not not having it. And I was like, you know, that was Bush League, man. You know, you shouldn't do shit like that. You know, my kid is a quality kid. You know, something's happened, you know, out on the ice. And and I said, well, dude, this is this is college hockey. This is this is Bird Arena. It is Bush League. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? So that was my ACHA moment. I mean, the coach heard about it, wanted me to know, you know, that he had my back and everything. It was just like, who is this guy just walking up here and taking me to task for referring to his kid as the diver that he was? I mean, so that was my ACHA moment. That's crazy. That's like something that maybe like if a parent were doing the microphone at a peewee hockey game, maybe you wouldn't say it then. But Bird Arena sounds like the perfect place for that to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think. A big part of my job is not, you know, making sure we we check all the boxes on the ACHA requirements of, you know, starting lineups and playing the national anthem, but getting the crowd riled up and it's almost like going to like a WWE match or something like I am not a unbiased participant. I am definitely there to cheer on my team. It's a great way of putting it. We'll toss it over to Fitz. Fitz, why don't you throw the first one at him? Yeah, so first I wanted to say just thanks for coming on, guys. And Herm, thanks for the mics. Absolutely legendary. I wanted to go back to what you said earlier, Herm, about just your your Ohio guys. They're just gritty and, you know, I can definitely attest to it uh, with your D2 team. My boy, Nick Coretta, I don't know if you guys know him. I think he moved made up the to D1 team. Yeah, made the D1 team. Yeah, yeah. I played him when he was D2, but I had no idea who he was. And he's just coming at me the whole game. Just I'm getting sticks like in the calves. I'm getting, you know, cross checks in the back as he's leaving the, the zone. And he was just on me all night after the game. We just like shook hands. We just, you know, both knew it was, an, you know, a well-fought game. And we just kind of like became friends through that. It was just like we battled with each other and became friends. So I just wanted to, to say that really quick. Uh, shout out to Nick Coretta. So first question here, what are some of just, you know, the most memorable games you've seen so far. I know that was a uh, pretty memorable moment as we heard right there out of Jake. What are some of, you know, just your favorite moments from the Ohio Bobcat game? My senior year had a whole bunch, but I'll kind of, I'll kind of jump around both a mix of, of home and away. There was a, a win. I think it was the first game in the series against Stony Brook in overtime 
where Timmy Turnow finished uh, a two. Was it a two on O or a two on one, Jake? I think I, I forget. I believe it was a two on one. You could I'm ask me the score from last night's game, and I couldn't tell you. It stands out to me really, really clearly because it got, I think, one of the greatest pictures in Bobcat hockey history out of it from our photographer, Morgan Samansky. She was perfectly positioned at the corner of the boards and Kyle Craddock just absolutely launches himself into the celebration with the boys. And it's this perfect picture of Craddock, just pure jubilation and excitement. As you can see the crowd behind him going nuts. It, it was perfect. It was it was just a fully electric night at Bird. We had gone to Lindenwood and our starting goalie, Jimmy Thomas, was out because of suspension because I think that night he had thrown a blocker at someone playing Calvin. Uh, he had gotten suspended for two games. And the first night, it Lindenwood was really, really rough. And Mason came in the second night and stood on his head and had the game of his life. Jimmy Thomas played a lot of games in net for the Bobcats and deservedly so. But Mason came in that night and lit up the house. It was so, so fun. I have a couple in mind. One of them predates you, David, but we hosted back-to-back years the Central States Collegiate Hockey League tournament as Kent State was falling out of our league, both literally and figuratively. So we hosted for them uh, their last year in the league and the year before that, I think. But winning the, the league trophy at home on a Sunday afternoon is not like a thing you see very often. We very rarely have afternoon games at OU. And so not only was that a a strange experience to have like, you know, light coming through the windows of the the arena uh, and seeing a really weird mix of crowd of parents and, and, you know, some locals, but the, the energy of, you know, winning the tournament at home and then just being able, because we're right on campus, right against uptown, just immediately after the game going with the cup right up through the escalators of Baker Center and onto Court Street and all the mayhem that ensued. That was a pretty incredible experience. And then I have another memory of uh, playing Eastern Michigan. I have pictures that I took where at one point, I mean, the, the scoreboard was a Christmas tree. It was ridiculous. I took pictures of looking down from where David and I would stand during the game, down into the penalty boxes, and then a picture across the ice of the Eastern Michigan bench. And there were as many people on the bench as there were in the Eastern Michigan penalty box. I I mean, it was just ridiculous. I mean, we, I don't think we've ever lost Eastern Michigan in, in 63 years of the program. Yeah, they were, they were pretty sour about that, but it was just hilarious. I mean, it was, it was comical because there was no chance they were going to come back. I mean, I don't even remember the final score. It was just seeing all those guys and so many of them had gotten kicked out that there were like six guys in the penalty box and, and less than that on the bench in, in watching Ohio hockey since 2003. I mean, I've seen a lot of pretty incredible things. Unlike Herm, I haven't been to many away games, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the crowd at bird can be pretty amazing back before Penn state went to NCAA division one, they were a regular opponent of ours. Penn games and Kent State, any kind of, you know, team names that people were familiar with, college names people were familiar with would always be big draws. And when I first started with the team, the arena staff wasn't necessarily as strict on capacity limits. So we would have people three, four people deep at the ends of each end of the ice for like a Penn State game. And it was just an incredible, incredible crowd. If any of you guys have been there, Bird Arena, it's it's small, it's tight. The ice is, I think, 10 or 15 feet shorter than standard. And the boards, you know, it's just, it's packed in there. So some of those big name games before Penn State transitioned over, uh, it's just the crowd. I mean, the product on the ice is always good. I mean, it doesn't matter who we're playing, but it's the the crowd, I think, that really, for me, makes the experience. And that's like my whole role is to make sure that the crowd is engaged in every game, whether it's, you know, us blowing someone out or, you know, it's a nail biter. I'd say Bird Arena is probably on, on the top of my list of places I'd like to play before I graduate. Syracuse traveled to Ohio the year before I got there. So I wasn't there for that, but I've heard plenty of stories like, 
obviously get to Syracuse, one of our bigger rivals, Liberty being in the same conference and having beaten them in the conference title game. I mean, everyone's always talking about the LaHaye Ice Center, obviously 2000 fans, Jumbotron, everything you can imagine Liberty has. But it was cool always hearing the guys talk about that trip to Ohio because I'm sure, Herm, you remember, but I think Ohio handed it to Syracuse pretty good that weekend. Um, and it was probably a long bus ride home. But the guys couldn't stop talking about the crowd, the tin can environment that you get at Bird because it's so packed in. Talk about how hot the locker rooms were, how, you know, it was insane that, you know, the arena is right in the middle of campus. And then, like you said, you walk out the door and you're on Court Street. So I think, you know, people talk about Liberty and the LaHaye as, as the best place to play in the ACHA, but it's probably got more NCAA vibes to it. Whereas Ohio's got the history, like you talked about, the historic Bird Arena and, you know, everything that comes with it. You might not see it a state-of-the-art facility, but it's got some character to it. The Hay has a Jumbotron, but do they have the South locker room for the visiting team that has showers that never, ever turn off, whether it's July or January? No, it doesn't have that. Bird has that. Did we just recently install safety nets? Finally, Bird, Bird finally got that. Yeah, after a couple fans got concussions and had to leave games, you know, from pucks to the face, we finally put some netting up. How many fans did it take? Too many. <laughs> yeah, they were blue line boosters too, so I think that, that added to it. Herb, I've got a question for you because this is predating the hockey house days, but as a, as a guy just kind of following the league around on Twitter, obviously Ohio has a huge presence on ACHA Twitter. You guys, you might've stolen the show, but you weren't a part of it. Were you behind the, the Twitter on the night when I want to say it was Lindenwood and. Yes, Iowa I was. State. Yes, I was. How many overtimes did that game go to? And you guys had to sit and watch the whole thing, correct? Quadruple overtime. Oh my God, that entire weekend is an interview in itself. That brutal. Talk about just an absolute slog of a night. It was just awful. Give us the backstory. Obviously, it's the the final four of the conference. It's being played at Illinois on the pond that they, they have there. That big pond. Jesus. So we get to the rink at about 4 p.m., for I believe it was like a 7.30 puck. It was either 7.30 or 8.30 puck drop. Iowa State and Lindenwood were on the game before. What's going on off the ice is I'm communicating with Jenny Lichty, who was the social media manager for Iowa State, who hadn't made the trip for CSCHL playoffs. And I offered to step in to take photos for Iowa State in addition to my responsibilities for the Bobcats. As the game is going, I'm taking photos to to provide stuff for their graphics. And this game just keeps on going and it keeps on going. And I am walking all back and forth across the big pond, waiting to hopefully get that one shot of the game winning goal. I have already worked a full game, like a full game and a half before we even get to the Bobcat game. The guys order pizza for post game that gets there before puck drop even happens. So they have a full meal before they even take the ice, just dinner of champions, devouring pizza. It just, you want to talk about ACHA moments. That's one of them for sure. So they take the ice after the longest collegiate hockey game in recorded history, which the, what was it? The Minnesota Duluth game that was the NCAA one came very, very close but didn't break that record. I was watching along intently. I was like, there is no way I want my spot in the history books to, to be preserved for this because I can proudly say that I photographed the longest collegiate hockey game in history. They take the ice at like 1230 and I'm going back and forth with Jenny on social media and I'm messing around with Illinois. Just an absolute nightmare to, to add insult to injury, I mean, I was going to save this for, for like one of the crazy road trip stories, but this is the crazy road trip story that I have. Um, <laughs> in addition to nearly dying on the bus ride up to Illinois, it's somewhere in the range of two in the morning. Illinois fans are still there in small numbers, but the ones that are absolutely plastered. I'm in Ohio team gear. And just doing my job. Keep in mind that doing my job is 
Twitter live for the Bobcats, graphics for the Bobcats, photos for the Bobcats. Additionally, Illinois photographs as well, because one of the Illinois cheerleaders asked me during the first period intermission if they could get photos of the seniors. So keep that in mind. I'm working for the Fighting Illini while all of this happens. I'm in the upper deck of the Big Pond shooting down, and it's scoreless going into the third. It was a really, really tight game. Illinois fans start getting like really, really comfortable with me uh, and not in a good way. And they start talking shit to me. And one of them starts really getting close to me. And I'm like in my viewfinder, fully focused, trying to do my job, not causing any problems. Jake knows when I am in work mode, I am fully, fully in work mode. But I wouldn't want to interrupt you. I will no, say that. No, definitely not. You might you not, might not be like the biggest, scariest looking guy, but don't cross David when he's focused. I've got my eye in the viewfinder and I'm fully focused. And the guy keeps talking shit to me. And Illinois scores. And he starts, he's about, if I was, say, like here, he's here, like physically right here, chirping directly at me as I've got my eye in my camera. And he's like, oh, did you get a photo of that one? Calls me an inbred hick. Calls me every name under the sun. And I have this out of body moment where I am looking through my viewfinder and I'm like, look, David, you just took a really, really good job. You need to hold on to this job. Do not swing for the life of you. It has never, ever, ever crossed my mind. You look at me. That is not a thought that has ever crossed my mind. And the Bobcats wind up losing. It's now like closer to 4 a.m. at this point as we're getting out of the rink. He calls me a fucking pussy in the, in the process of this. I go up to him after the game. I'm like, are you going to apologize for calling me a fucking pussy? He was like sticks and stones, bud. And he tried to fight a couple of Ohio parents after that. I got on the bus. I was really heated. I was thankful that a couple of the boys came out of the locker room at that point and backed me up. That's my crazy road trip story for you. It's, it was too long of a night for too many reasons. Not only was it on ice action that just drained me, but all of this to cap off the, that was my last Ohio Bobcat game. We were supposed to go to nationals and supposed to have a deep playoff run. That was what I got to cap off my entire four-year experience with. It was something else. We might need a, a hockey house docu-series about Hermes <laughs> Weekend in Illinois. Maybe like a, a four-part you know, series, maybe 12-minute episodes. And I think that's how we'd get the whole story out of you because that sounds like a wild weekend. And just just so the parts I knew previously, just the, the constant that I remember seeing. You were going back and forth on Twitter with – Iowa, who's always uh, on ACHA Twitter in Illinois. So from my perspective, it seemed like a crazy weekend. But on top of that, it sounds like it was, you know, just as crazy inside the rink. It was bananas. I mean, a world record, a pizza party at almost a flat. I think that's a good way to, to cap off your career. Yeah. And if you've been around the Ohio hockey office since David's departure, you'll know that the the staff there can do a pretty good pantomime of David almost dying that weekend on the bus, which is pretty comical. I didn't know about it until after the season had ended and was was done and gone, but but apparently David flies through the air pretty well, so. So the precursor to all of this happening, so I've already I've already got my crazy weekend story to tell before any of the the on-ice stuff happens. And that entire shit show goes down. We're on the coach bus. We're three out of four movies in and we need to change the movie. I sat towards the front of the bus with the coaching staff. Tommy Picorni, one of the, the vets on the team, just kind of asked in the general direction. He was like, can anyone get up and like change the movie? And no one really responded. People were asleep or doing homework. I was like, sure, I got it. So I'm standing up between the rows themselves. So I'm one leg is on one seat. And then another is on another. So I'm looking up at the DVD player above me and then looking back down at the guys. I, I was about like four rows deep into the bus and I'm looking, I'm like, so this movie, maybe this movie, maybe. And the last thing I remember was, was like, how about Inglorious Bastards? I look down, <laughs> I look, I look in front of me at the boys. And then the next thing I see is the floor uh, because Kelly, our bus driver, had stopped short on the highway, and I flew forward about four rows, 
and narrowly missed hitting the windshield of the bus. Uh, I hit the front, <laughs> the like the front barrier, essentially splitting like the first row and miraculously survived with no concussion, no broken anything. Uh, because I had my hoodie on, I like took the, the blow of the impact pretty soundly, came up like in a lot of pain, but was totally fine. Amazingly. So even before everything that went down that weekend in Illinois, I had my crazy story to tell. So when I called my parents after the on ice stuff, they were like, just, just get home safely, please. At this point, it's been enough. How did the boys react when you went flying? <laughs> um, I talked to Sean Baird afterwards when we stopped at the gas station and Sean thought I was dead. Uh, like legitimately that was Sean's quote was like, Herm, I thought you were done. Like that was, that was it. Uh, he saw me one second because I'm pretty sure Sean was towards the back of the bus. He was like, I saw you one second and then you were gone. Like I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky to, to be here right now. And, and having this interview and not be in a whole world of pain or splattered on a highway in Illinois, had she stopped faster, it could have been really, really ugly. But at least you had that sweatshirt, you know? Yes. Yes. Real good. It's side. like, uh, it's like wrapping a stick in a sweatshirt, you know, you just, you just sort of floated down to the, the steps of the bus. Floated is a, is a, is a nice term for, for what happened, but sure. We'll go, we'll go with floated. Jake, we posted a video on our social media the other day of the PA addresser. It was a game between Niagara and Buffalo in Buffalo and a brawl breaks out and they hand out five minute majors for fighting and nobody gets kicked out. So the penalty boxes are filled with guys. It's one minute long of the PA addresser just like rambling on about all the penalties. I'm assuming that you've had to do that a lot at Bird Arena. Oh, sure. Yeah. The season before was the current coach, Cole Bell. It was his first season with the Bobcats. I, I held off until at the end of the intermission when people could look at the scoreboard and, and see all the all of the stuff that was put up there to kind of recap what happened in the last minute of the second period, bridging them back in to get them the fans ready. As the coaching staff is crossing the ice, I just dropped, you know, the bravado of making announcements and just sort of was like just talking really casually as if I was talking to a friend. Just like, okay, and then uh looks like so-and-so has a five-minute major for fighting and 10-minute disqualification, but it's not a game DQ, okay? So don't worry about that. They'll be back. And then, yeah, I was just casually talking about because I was like, you know what? This is too much. This is ridiculous. Because at times, you know, the refs in the ACHA will let so much go. But then it seems like, you know, a powder keg explodes and almost everyone everywhere has a penalty. Those things will happen. And Cole Bell, I, I have, it's his contact picture now when he calls me. It's him, the, one of the photographers caught him. He's looking up at me, crossing the ice, just looking at me like, what are you doing? And I was just, just blabbing on, just like, yeah, that's all the penalties for you guys. And uh, hey, in a minute, we're going to cheer for the team when they come back out. I, I, I try to keep it like, you know, semi-pro, but there's times where it's just like, wow, that was a mess. I don't know what happened. Uh, I'll get the info and tell you later. You know, making an announcement about a penalty, uh, that's clear enough. Okay, there's there's one guy, there's a power play. This is what happened. Okay, easy enough. And we have, like, for visiting penalties, we typically use music cues. So, you know, like Day Tripper will play for tripping and Hold Me for holding and, you know, like different kind of like classic songs that cue up and, and match with a penalty. But when you've got, you know, two penalty boxes full of people, it's just a mess. I normally have fun, especially if there's a Bobcat power play. I go all, all out for that. But sometimes it's just like, I'm going to talk to these, these people one-on-one -on -one here. And what's funny is, you know, when I started, I would just show up at a game. I'd have like a two page script and I would just, you know, do that, you know, announce penalties back on the ice goals, one minute remaining. And over the years, it's become much more themed with what's going on in the game. So people have multiple cues as to be able to follow what's going on. If they, if they walked away to the restroom or the concession stand, people know what's happening based on the music cues and, you know, how boisterous I might be getting. Part of it is also, it is an intimate place. Like it is not a huge arena. The ceiling is low. The seats are up close to the glass. So one element that makes it familial is 
you know, I'm not just some unknown like I once was. I mean, the McDonald's people sometimes recognize my voice in the drive through, which is both a bad sign that I go to McDonald's too much. But also they're like, oh, yeah, you're the, you're the hockey guy. I'm like, yeah, double quarter pounder with cheese. You know, like it's a small town. I mean, Southeast Ohio is not a big place as far as population goes. So, you know, it's one of those things where people, uh, you know, and not just like the local blue line boosters are almost like the, you know, the local team ownership, but the fans, you know, generationally, we've got fans that are coming through the Athens Youth Hockey Association. They follow the team from when they're kids and then when they have their own kids. So there's a lot of generational support. So it doesn't have to be you know, perfect and polished and, you know, shiny, like when you go up to Nationwide and see the Blue Jackets play. People pay for that experience and that's great. But what we offer is something that is, you know, it's in your face. It's a blue collar style of play, like you were testing to earlier. Nick Coretta, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's an example of what the Bobcats are all about, being physical and, and giving the fans what they want to see. They want to see hard work. They want to see skill, of course. They want to see goals, but they want to see guys that are grinded. And so I try and just kind of fit into that mentality. That brings up a good point because I think, you know, a lot of places you see in college hockey are all about tradition and by the book. And it sounds like Bobcat hockey is almost like, you know, kind of like a minor league hockey team. Like the minor in the minor leagues, they do all these gimmicks and things to get people involved and have a good experience when they come to the game. Like we said, there's no jumbotron at Bird. So you have to think of other ways to get the crowd involved. How much do you guys take into consideration not only about fans returning, but the player experience? Because now you've created this environment where guys from across the country even in Canada and overseas now want to come to Athens, Ohio and play college hockey. I think you look at the the quality of some of the, the really standout guys from recent teams, guys like Gianni Evangelisti, guys like Jimmy Thomas, guys like Tyler Harkins that absolutely could have gone on and played high collegiate hockey, in my opinion. Jimmy specifically, he was just a phenom and for them to to choose to come to bird to a sold out arena every single night is a testament to the level of adoration that the hockey team gets and it was part of the reason why i wanted to curate such like an extensive digital identity for the team because the guys care so much the fans care so much but if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it really make a sound? And in this day and age of social media being all important, you've got this great on ice product, you needed to promote it. And before David came, our online presence was minimal. We didn't have a Twitter identity. We didn't have an Instagram account. We had a website and I would say a huge credit to building and piggybacking on the long history of Ohio hockey's, you know, as a program, including its NCAA years, starting back in 1958 through today, was the work of Sean Hogan, former coach who now works for College Hockey Inc. He came to us from Arizona and, you know, took all of this history and information that we had physically and put it into Google Docs and Sheets to create an online sort of encyclopedia. And David's helped maintain that since John has been gone. But before David came onto the scene, you know, unless you went to a game, you didn't know what it was like. Sometimes there'd be a clip on YouTube that someone had taken with their phone or a video camera. But really the identity that we see today, you know, that the current social media team under Jessica has really built off of. David built that, you know, season over season. You know, he started off standing next to me, you know, during games. I would be shouting. He would be tolerating me. And he would be building a Twitter presence uh, and an Instagram account that, you know, is a huge recruitment tool for players, but also for our existing players to to show to the teams that they want to look at, you know, for going pro. And obviously that didn't work out at the end of last season for folks. We all know what happened with the panty that brings fans in and it brings players in. But I will also say that it's, you know, getting back to that question of what does the in arena experience do beyond fans? And when we have prospects come and check out the campus and they see the location of the rink. That's when the historic nature of Bird really comes into play that it is an on-campus rink. It's, you know, older than, you know, most of the alums that come back. And 
it is an electric atmosphere that if you're looking at an NCAA Division Three program, you're never going to get the kind of crowds we get. You're never going to have a state school experience with huge crowds and a raucous environment where the fans want to get to know you. They want to cheer for you. They want to wear the jersey with your name on the back. That's something that no other schools in, in our area, at least, that I've uh, seen have that. You know, we have because of the rink and the 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 game environment that we have, it really draws people in. You know, if you're on the fence and you're going, well, I could go D3. The school has fewer people than go to a typical Ohio Bobcats hockey game. To me, it's a no brainer. You go because you want the roar of the crowd when you net your first goal as a Bobcat. If that's not on a commercial for Ohio Bobcats hockey, I don't know what else will be. It's really rare to find a state school like that where an eight, like a club team, an ACHA team is the dark horse favorite sport among students, like above football, above basketball that gets all of this athletic department support. Man, is it incredible to see the the support from both the, the fans and, and players and students alike. It's nuts to, to have an atmosphere like that. One of the only away games I've been to that wasn't part of a, you know, a national tournament was at Kent State. And Kent State, I would argue, has a two-sheet facility. I was there. It was like a Friday night. The, the one sheet was, you know, full community skate. But we had more Ohio hockey fans in uh, our rink than there were Kent State fans. And, and to me, that was shocking. Because, you know, what are you going to do in Kent, Ohio on a Friday night if not go to a hockey game? But it wasn't drawing the crowds. And this is not so much for for the show, but just it's shocking to me how if you're not right on campus and if you don't have an identity and a culture that draws people in and wants people to be engaged with the players on a really close level, personal level, it's a detriment when you're trying to bring players in. So you guys obviously put in a lot of work into your jobs to help deliver you know, a great, you know, to help assist with the on ice product. What's the preparation like before a game for you guys? Bring a Snickers for Jake. That's, that's <laughs> the problem. <laughs> for me, it was ensure that all of the graphic templates were, were ready to go checking in with photographers to, to make sure that they, to make sure that Morgan and Lizzie at the time were set to make sure that Jess was all good with, with interview prep. There was, there was a whole, whole lot that went into it. Over the years, it became much more involved process. Not only did I get to know uh, the coaches, Cole is the, the fourth coach that I've worked with. I've gotten to know the coaches and their families, but become part of the organization in such a way where <laughs> they were joking this past season that I was the team senior advisor. I was like, is that just because I've outlasted the other people that, that, you know, that are on the program, you know, being a college program, there's a lot of turnover with people like David that come through the program are successful and use that as a launch pad. Uh, but we see that with the players too. And, and especially with our assistant coaches, we've had a lot of assistant coaches come through doing a coaching education masters and go on to big things. So for me, a lot of it is not so much preparing for a game as it is preparing for a season and making sure that I get with the coach to make sure we have good programming that's going to keep the fans engaged, which has been you know even bigger under Cole than it was before. Really integrating with the community and making sure that when people come to a hockey game, they feel like it's it's not just something they're coming to visit, but it's something that they can take with them. We can contribute to the community through our players going into the elementary schools and, and reading to the kids and volunteering. And they can, you know, bring their classrooms and their scout troops to our games. And, you know, we become a tighter knit family because of that. I love the pregame uh, Snickers ritual. I used to do it before my games. Yeah, yeah, no, David is just a sweetheart. And if he if he like didn't have time or forgot, he would be so devastated. I'd be like, it's okay. And he would run down the concession stand and buy one. Like, okay, here it is. The Snickers. That was something David started doing. And and I so he gave me a Snickers and I gave him a hug. Best bromance in ACHA. Without a doubt. Well, Jake, I think this is a perfect place to end it. I think we've, we could probably talk about Ohio hockey for two more hours at this rate. Thank you for coming on and hanging out with us and telling stories. I think a lot of the stories we've had are obviously more current and in the past couple of years, but with your time at Ohio, you've seen, you know, this kind of progression of this, you know, team with a lot of tradition and 
has always been at the top of the standings in the ACHA. So once again, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your stories. Yeah, it's really my pleasure. You know, I've seen the the ACHA grow and change over the past 18 years, you know, from when we could host the nationals on one sheet of ice with a backup Zamboni that we rented from Columbus to the ACHA being a much more powerful and really notable organization. So it's really cool to be part of something like this. And uh, I appreciate you for having me. Once again, thank you to Jake Jacuzzi for coming on the show and joining Herm. Great insight on, on the Ohio hockey program and kind of more of the behind the scenes of Bird Arena, one of the, the famed arenas in the ACHA. Herm is on us for the post-game show here. Herm, like we said, you've been great to us so far in editing the pod and kind of the insight you provide as we're three players and you're kind of the guy who's worked in the operations and, and seen it all. So kind of the perfect mix and you've kind of, Perfect guy to fit in as the executive producer for us. So we thank you for that and uh, kind of want to give you your own episode here. Oh, look, there's always got to be a good geek behind the uh, behind the, the operations. So, yeah, I think I, I met the only other guy who's just as much of an ACHA nerd as I am. By the time by the time this podcast is, is all said and done, we'll have a uh, there'll be like an elite prospects type website, but it'll just be an ACHA players database and it'll be Herm behind the scenes. You say it, but I'm I'm dead serious about it. I was looking into making like a recruiting guide for the entire ACHA. So like all the schools, all the coaches and their emails. So prospects can really easily reach out instead of hunting for all that information. I think it's something that the ACHA should look into as like a yearly guide that they publish. And I'd be happy to to spearhead the the development of that. And so getting into it, I think we talked about it earlier, but you spent four years at Ohio and then graduated right as in time for, as uh, Jake called it, the panty. And now you've kind of walked away from hockey, but you're still trying to get involved as much as you can. And that's kind of how we found you and it's kind of the perfect match for you working for the hockey house. Yeah, I think I was one of the account's first followers, if I remember correctly. I think I might have still been in school at the time. And the moment I saw like ACHA podcast, my ears perked up. I was like, hell yes. I want to, first of all, follow what's going on on Instagram and, and then listen to the pod. I just kind of decided to to get involved a little bit more. Once I started listening, I was like, I wanted to test out this new audio program and I DM the account and I was like, Murph, are, are you cool with this? And he was like, yeah. And so I started editing the episodes and continued to edit the episodes. And now I'm here, I guess. What was your first episode? Do you remember which one was your first one? I'd have to take a look back and see. I think it was the Joe Caprio episode, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that, that, that might check out because I yeah, if any of the listeners can notice a significant difference in the audio. It's because Premiere Pro is not being used to edit a podcast. <laughs> that is all thanks to Herm. We're glad to have Herm on. Herm is actually helping us right now with our Hockey House All-Star search. We kicked that off about almost two weeks ago to the day. We are looking for the best and the brightest or the not so brightest in the ACHA when it comes to looking for our ambassadors. Obviously, you've seen with Barstool Sports and everyone else in the world is offering, you know, you can be a so-and-so athlete and all you kind of get is your picture shared on Instagram and maybe a free T-shirt out of it. But we are looking for the best of the best in the ACHA or even in the CHF when it comes to, you know, your social media following and what team you play for and what kind of personality you have. We're looking for those type of guys with the best style, the most swagger. We got over 170 applicants. And so Herm threw them all into an Excel spreadsheet for us. We got it all organized. And as we speak, we're picking the team and it's going to drop on Friday of this week. So that'll be Friday, July 23rd. Don't know what time of day it's going to be, but it'll drop then. And it should be a blast seeing the reactions out of that. You thought Seattle was losing sleep over the expansion draft. What we're going to have to talk about tomorrow is going to be a nightmare going through this with, with how few spots we had with so, so many quality applicants. Oh, it's going to suck. We're going to put in more effort into this than Herb Brooks put into picking the 1980 national team. That's why I posted that meme. It's because like, there's so many people who are going to get like so many people who apply and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely going to get this. And they're not going to get it because we're not looking for the best. We're looking for the right guys to be on the team. And so we've got a handful of guys who have been on the podcast that have applied. I don't think that guarantees you a spot on the team, but some of the guys that have applied, I think will, will definitely make the team just because the personalities that they bring to the table. And then obviously there's a lot of guys we've never heard of before and 
have crazy stories. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm just glad I'm a co-host because I don't think I would make it on the team if I was just a regular guy. So that's what I was thinking too. Even as like the, the creator of all this, I was like, if I was up against like the top guys in the ACHA when it comes to like personalities, I don't think I'm a top 25 guy. I'm, I don't even think I'm a healthy scratch. I'm, I'm not on the team. I get made fun for just how, how I tie my skates. So I'm definitely not making it. And I have a yellow helmet. So I'm definitely just <laughs> negative 20 in the stye department. I have not stepped foot on college hockey ice, so I'm, I don't think I'm making it. Yeah, we're the front office of the team. Us and, and, and maybe maybe Ben Smith's in that front office too with, with us. So we're looking forward to that. Obviously, this is coming off the heels of the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup and our guy, Daniel Walcott, getting to lift it, to be in uniform on the ice after the cup has been lifted. And he was actually the guy who got to hand it to John Cooper at the end because he was the last player to lift it. I've heard a lot about Walcott's story just being in Syracuse because he's a huge Syracuse Crunch fan favorite. So I've been hearing about him for a while now. And it was just like a really cool story. Obviously, a guy who crawled his way through the hockey jungle, starting the ACHA, going off the Canadian Major Junior, and then up through the ranks all the way to the NHL. Just a crazy story. Really happy for him. What are you guys' thoughts on it? ACHA to the show and he just upgraded to ACHA to the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. We have to change the hashtag now? <laughs> <laughs> ACHA to the cup. <laughs> it's not good enough to just make the NHL for the ACHA. We're expecting so the ACHA to the hall after? <laughs> yeah. Just going to keep, you know, increasing the um, standard. I got a DM from somebody and I'm blanking on the name now, but they're like, Lindenwood has to retire Walcott's number. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know. He played one season and then left. Like, I, does that get your number retired? As a team that's not even going NCAA, I argue, I think he should drop the puck at the first NCAA Lindenwood game. I think that would be perfect. Be they got to get on that. You put I'll it up on our, our Instagram and all, like all these people are like, oh, he played in the queue. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we know. But like, you played in the ACHA yeah. too. <laughs> Started in the ACHA. He was just yeah. like us. Just like everything else in the ACHA. You don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Like, we don't yeah. have to talk about how he played in the queue or anything. ACHA of the show. Let us have our moment here. Yeah. We had talked about it on the last pod, but Sally Hockey had dropped some Tampa Bay merch. We got going with Wally, Daniel Walcott himself, on Instagram DMs, and we are making sure that he gets a Sally Hockey shirt shipped to his home in Syracuse, New York. So looking forward to seeing Wally in, in a Sally Hockey shirt. If you're looking to get any other Sally Hockey merch, they've got a hat for everyone. And as if their Trinidad and Tobago hats weren't enough, they've added two more hat lines for the summer. From the same movie that introduced us to Trinidad and Tobago hockey, hitting the shelves is the South Central Los Angeles street hockey line of hats. The home of the knuckle puck, the streets of South Central Los Angeles, were a hockey hotbed during the Junior Goodwill Games, and these hats match the energy. The hats are available in white, purple, and black. Snapbacks aren't your thing? No problem. Selly Hockey also dropped a line of dad hats. The three hats come in Classic Selly, Mighty Selly, and North Selly. Be sure to check them out at sellyhockeyco.com and get yours before they're gone. Be sure to follow at sellyhockey.co on Instagram for all the latest updates. Like I said, we were in the DMs with with Walcott himself working something out, hoping to get him on the podcast at some point. We're not really sure when, but keeping our fingers crossed on our end. Hopefully we can get something out. He's a busy guy this time of year, obviously just winning the Stanley cup. He's still, still celebrating. And I guess if I haven't already talked enough, I'll, I'll address the, the elephant in the room. We did do a post about kind of ending the beef with ACHA show. Just wanted to come on the podcast and explain that to the viewers and kind of get Click Fitz and Herm, your thoughts on it. I know the four of us kind of talked about it for a little bit. It was getting everyone's opinions, but basically when ACHA first started, it was a couple months after we did, kind of got ahead of it and DM them right away. Like, hey, cool to see someone else like show them up at the ACHA. And as Herm pointed out to me, kind of like a barstool style account, posting more about the parties in the ACHA. And we were more like legitimized the ACHA and kind of wanted to promote it, but they were still wanted to promote it too. And so when we talked to them, it was kind of this agreement like, hey, we've got the podcast and we'll do like the interviews and we've got the graphics to back it up. And they were kind of just going to post more of the, you know, like those videos you would maybe see on Barstool or frat pages and, and whatnot. And so all was good. And then they started posting stuff that we had already posted. And that's where things got a little fishy. And 
we couldn't do anything about it because we were also taking people's content. You know, if NC State posted something funny, we were going to reshare it and give NC State credit. If Weber State was going to post something, you know, tag Weber State or if Liberty posted something, you know, it's not our content to begin with. We're just resharing. And so people caught on a bit and were like, hey, they're just reposting everything that Hockey House has posted, but we didn't do anything. And then we didn't do anything because we, we couldn't. And so one night, Weber State and Utah get into an absolute gong show with each other. And I, I went out that night. I came back to my dorm probably like two in the morning. And I had seen that this game was a gong show because people had sent me videos of it. But I wanted to go get highlights. And so I do do what I always do. And I go to my computer. I start clipping clips from the YouTube live stream. And I put them together in like a 60-second highlight package. And that next morning, I posted it. And once again, because it wasn't my video, I tagged Weber State Hockey. They didn't make the video, but it was their live stream that I used. And so posted it. And then like six hours later, ACHA show reposted it and tagged Weber State. And I was like, uh, that's kind of weird. Like I made that video. That's my video. They didn't get it from Weber State. They got it from me and they gave Weber State the credit. And so at that point, we were starting our, our Hockey House Jersey Madness competition and ACHA show kind of wanted to help us with it. And I told them at that point, I was like, no, like we have all the help we need. And then when nationals came around and we started taking clips from hockey TV, obviously we take a clip from hockey TV. We're going to give hockey TV credit. And so I bought the TV package like Herm and watched the ACHA nationals from my dorm room. And like night and day, they were just reposting all the clips that we had posted. And so that was when we blocked them. I didn't say anything to whoever was running it. Just block them out of the blue. It's like, you know what? I'm not going to let this guy take my content anymore. And so at that point, I was getting people sending more videos of them taking our stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't want to do much about it. And then we kind of addressed it. It was like, hey, like, we're not affiliated with ACHA show. Like, don't follow them. They're just copying our stuff. Like, these guys are clowns. And we did that once. And then I guess the tipping point of all this is when they started doing ACHA show athletes. I thought that that was kind of a joke because I had thought that the barstool athlete thing was a joke. I don't really think it's that cool that everybody who signs up gets to be a quote unquote athlete. And so kind of a shot at ACHA show, we were already coming up with something to do for hockey house ambassadors, but we released it right after they did. And we did hockey house all-stars. And so at that point, we we called people out who are being ACHO show athletes, but also follow the hockey house because we felt it was one or the other and not both. And so they posted a story basically explaining their side of it. And that was when I was like, kind of took a step back, like, hey, we're all just creating stuff for the ACHA. As Herm told me, there's room for two accounts to exist in this world. And so that is when I reached out to them and we talked it out. So long story short, we settled our differences. As you can see, I, I narrowed the timeline. I brought the timeline to the ACHA show. They felt that we had a relationship as Bleacher Report and ESPN. If Bleacher Report posts something, ESPN can also share it. But they're both watching the NBA finals. They're both going to post about it, that kind of thing, which I can respect. And that was why we never called them out early on. When I made the Weber State fight video and tagged Weber State, ACHA show saw that as like, oh, this is Weber State's video. I'll also repost that. And then the same thing happened during the national championships. They saw a video and was like, oh, Hockey TV posted this. I'm going to post this as well. Because we blocked them, they were never confronted by it. They were confused why we had been back and forth with the DMs. And then all of a sudden we blocked them. So they never understood that portion of it. That's where I felt bad on our end. We should have just confronted them from the beginning. Luckily, we worked it out over DMs. Like I said, we're all just proud to promote the ACHA. There's no need for the beef. And I guess that's the, the long story and, and everything that's happened. So we're all on the same page here. We just want you know to promote the ACHA. And obviously, we want to be the best at doing it. But there's also room for other accounts to do so. Well said. It's a mouthful. But yeah, that's, that's basically how it all went down. Everybody love everybody. We want to be the big guys, but we don't want to be the bad guys in the ACHA. And so that's where I thought, you know, taking the high road here, let's work something out. No need for the beef and uh, move on. So our DMs are always open. If you have any questions or, or concerns, let us know. That being said, we do still have beef with other people. We at the Hockey House enjoy giving the EHL a hard time just because there have been really good players out of the EHL who choose the ACHA route and maybe don't get recognized for it. Today on Twitter, I saw a commitment from the BCHL. It was a player from the Trail Smoke Eaters by the name of Hunter Flores. And he actually committed to Iowa State and his team, who's verified on Twitter. 
I don't know if any EHL teams can say the same about being verified on Twitter. They've got the blue check mark, and even them are talking about a commitment to the ACHA. So I thought that was really cool. Not so much to you know chirp the EHL, but it's cool to see such a league like the BCHL promoting a commitment to an ACHA school. I don't know what you guys' thoughts were on that. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of crazy to hear that, you know, a league that produces such high-end NCAA talent, you know, is still showcasing one of their guys committing to an ACHA school. Greg Powers said it really well when we had him on. Like, the the hashtag, like, club hockey is college hockey. Yeah, that's true. Like, when the top teams in the ACHA get called club hockey teams, I think people take a lot of offense to that. But as Greg Powers said, at the end of the day, the bottom half of ACHA Division One isn't really competing with D3 teams like the top half of ACHA Division One is. So I think that's where you put Iowa State, Ohio, Liberty, Adrian, those teams, those are the ones that get the comparison to being just as good as the Division Three teams. So I think it right, right on the BC for, for posting that and sharing it. And it was getting a lot of love on Twitter. Lots to talk about on this episode, but we'll wrap things up. This is episode 30 of the show. Like we said, we're happy to have Herm on here for it. He's been working behind the scenes a lot, but we're going to go around the room and everyone's got to pick a moment that they, you know, looking back 30 episodes that they've enjoyed as being a part of the hockey house. We'll throw it over to Fitz first. Bronson Moore from ASU getting called up to play with the D1 squad. I think that's it's pretty sick. I, I could just imagine, you know, like it's like getting a call up to, you know, like the MLB or the NHL. You get a call from the D1 coach and say, like, hey, you're coming up with the big squad. And then actually getting into a game, you know, later on after, you know, getting the hockey house bump. I think that was one of the coolest moments for me. That one was surreal because we had talked to him after the call. He was on the road with the team. He was a guy that we had followed from day one reached out to him, got in contact. He did the interview with us. And then like after the pod dropped, there he was playing an NCAA game. And so that was really cool to see. And, you know, we, we were right there with him talking to him. Like, what about you? For me, I'm going to have to say our interview with Louis Shanks. Uh, first of all, sorry if I completely butcher your name. My high school French is a little rusty, but, you know, just hearing his story and, you know, just what happened to him and how he's able to overcome his adversity and what he's doing moving forward was just, you know, incredible to hear. And it just such a great guy. Just easily one of my favorite episodes. I think it was really underrated. And I don't know, I don't have the perspective from our general audience on what they thought about that one, but that one was good because going into it, I had known everything that he overcame. And that's what we were kind of focusing on and the rollerblading across the country portion of it. And then to come on the podcast and share his story about dreaming of playing college hockey growing up in France and then coming to North America, playing Division Three at a small school with no rink on campus and a new program, and then not enjoying hockey, and then transferring to Missouri State where his buddies from El Paso who played juniors for the Rhinos, they were all at Missouri State, and he went there and just like fell in love with the game again. And that is like what our podcast is all about. So that, that's another moment that's up there for me, and it was kind of an underrated one that we didn't see coming. Herm, you've, you've also been here since day one, maybe on the other side for the first half of it, but we've been happy to have you the second half. Looking back, what's a moment that you've enjoyed? Well, the sarcastic answer has to be every single time that I've cut out your obviously on the cutting room floor, but a little bit of recency bias. I thought the Greg Powers episode was phenomenal. Just getting his perspective on both the ACHA and the NCAA, seeing how he built that Arizona State program. I guess that's number two, Sun Devil coming in with Bronson Moore, but really hearing how much he was like a, a player's coach. I can't necessarily attest to that locker room atmosphere, but it seems like he's someone who's who's an incredible, incredible leader. I mean, that was a slam dunk one that we had from day one in, in our notes trying to get. I'll never forget checking the Twitter notifications. And all of a sudden one day it was like, Greg Powers has followed you on Twitter. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just DM'd him right away. And I was like, we got to get you on the pod. He was like, I'd love to come on. And luckily we, we worked it out. For me, I think one of the biggest ones that I enjoyed watching, and it was maybe an experience that I hope no one else has to go through, but in my role with Syracuse this year and kind of being one of the officers and dealing with the school, I thought the Luke Grossman interview about Slippery Rock was one that I think a lot of guys should still listen to because it's one that, you know, you never know when your university is going to choose to treat you like a club sport or a varsity sport. Unfortunately for, for them, it came down to, they just got rid of them because at the end of the day, the, in the eyes of the university, they were just a club sport 
And I think having him on, he had reached out first. All he wanted us to do was promote that they had guys who needed new places to play. And then for him to come on and, and share that story. And it was, it, you could tell with him, it was just so tough for him to talk about it because of the emotions that had been drawn from it. But for Luke to come on and be the classy guy that he was and tell that story, I thought that was a really good moment for the podcast. Another thing that sticks out to me was episode three. We brought on episode two. We brought on my good friend, Ford Hatchet. He was kind of our, our pilot, a guy that I knew and was easy to talk to. And then episode three was a guy that none of us knew in Ben Smith. And he's probably one of the closest friends of the podcast. He told us all about what it's like playing hockey at South Carolina. So that's another moment that sticks out for me because I think, you know, if, if we had had a poor episode three, who knows where we'd be, but that was another good one for me. I don't think I said obviously in that sentence. So <laughs> very proud of you. Very, very proud of you. So, and, and obviously I, dang it, I just said it. Oh, no. All right. We got to cut it now. All right. That's um, staying in. You know that's staying in, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep it in. But once again, thank you to all the listeners for, for hanging out with us and talking ACHA with us. We, we, we wouldn't be here without you guys. Remember Friday. The Hockey House All-Star team is dropping. Probably one of the biggest things we've done besides the, the Jersey Madness bracket. So we're looking forward to that. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you've made it this far, next episode is going to have some exceptional sound quality with the boys having some new microphones. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.